0: Ways we show we're actively listening can differ from person to person, group to group, and culture to culture. A few months ago, I came across a post by author Priya Parker, who wrote the book The Art of Gathering How We Meet and Why It Matters. She introduced me to a term in communication and listening called cooperative overlapping. It started with her reposting NPR journalist Sam Sanders' content on December 8th, 2021. Sam shared an email he got from a listener, along with his reply. The listener criticized his constant grunts and murmurs when a guest is speaking. The message from the unnamed listener continued. I don't know if these sounds are involuntary or if he wants to show he's paying attention, but it's rude to guests and distracting to listeners. Sam's response contained insightful information about cultural differences in listening. He said this. What you're hearing is a linguistic tradition very prominent in black culture and the black church. Public speaking, oration, and conversation in the black community is consistently peppered with call and response. The congregation tells the preacher, amen, so he or she will keep going. The grunt or um mm, or ah to show support and encourage the speaker to continue. In everyday conversation, black people push conversation forward with interjections as well. There's a linguistic term for this. It's called cooperative overlapping. Now, in a fascinating chase down the internet rabbit hole, Priya explored where this term came from and how it became popularized today, which surprisingly, or maybe unsurprisingly, is through TikTok. She shared an opinion essay from the New York Times by Deborah Tannen, a professor of linguistics at Georgetown University. In the piece, Deborah shares information about her research transcribing a conversation between New Yorkers and Californians. At first look at the transcript, it appeared as though the New Yorkers were rudely talking over one another, which to the Californians at the table, they were. Upon closer inspection, however, of the entire conversation, there were differing assumptions about overlap in the communication, and the New Yorkers at the table were engaging in their regular style of dialogue. Nothing rude going on here. Participatory listenership is the umbrella term that Deborah uses for listening, and cooperative overlapping is an active listening technique that sits under that umbrella. There are many other forms of active listening, many of which we've explored in other episodes already. But this type of cooperative overlapping, kind of amping up the conversation and encouraging the speaker to continue sharing, is particularly culturally specific. Anthropologists and linguists have described this type of overlapping in conversation in a variety of cultures around the world throughout history. In other words, while silence is golden in conversation, it's not the only way to demonstrate engagement. That said, when listening styles differ greatly, a well-intentioned overlap can feel like a rude interruption. Domination of the conversation can result and the speaker may feel like they're not being listened to or even like they're being attacked. Deborah ends the article by offering this interesting piece of advice. She says, if you've been waiting in vain for a pause, you might push yourself to jump in. And if you feel interrupted, try continuing to talk instead of stopping. Now, today's guest is Dr. Jennifer Hunter. She is a clinical psychologist who listens for a living, as well as conducting important research in the field and teaching Master of Social Work students about her area of expertise. She and I get into the nitty gritty about the different types of listening exchanges, some similar to cooperative overlapping, as well as how to tap into our emotional states in a way to listen on a whole other level. We also dive into the imbalance we feel in how communication is taught, speaking versus listening, in classrooms of all levels, as determined by metrics like participation grades, for example. Jen identifies listening's transformational power, listening's role as a precursor to creative thinking, the role self-esteem plays in listening, and she positions the act of listening as a gift we can offer others. Phew, it's a good one. Well, first and
1: foremost, I'm a big Talks, Paper, Scissors podcast fan, so I'm a long-time <laughs> listener, so that's, that's the most important thing I want you to take away from this. Um, when I'm not listening to your podcast, I'm a clinical psychologist, which is just one way of saying I have an unending enthusiasm for the amazingness of people. So um, I do different types of work. I provide psychotherapy and psychological assessment. Um, I conduct research at North York General Hospital in their adult eating disorders program. And I teach uh, graduate students at the University of Toronto's Master of Social Work program. So I would say, broadly, I see my work as helping people kind of restory the parts of their lives that they feel have become limiting. And I feel really lucky because I get to work with amazing people every day.
0: Amazing. Now, as a clinical psychologist, you do a lot of listening in your days and Mm. I just would love to know for you like what what does active listening look like and also as kind of a secondary question like can listening uh, listening happen on multiple levels Mm. so I guess let's start with the active listening part first these are like two great questions
1: so I think active listening looks different for different people I think for some folks uh, it might look like interjecting sort of brief, like, "mm," or like, I see, or like sort of like brief statements like that. Um, For others, other people might prefer to like sit quietly, maintain eye contact and nod. And of course, there's like an infinite variation on that. Um, Personally, I tend to use my nonverbals the most, um, especially my facial expressions. Um, But I think a key part of active listening is like, first of all, using your own style. So not like forcing yourself to like nod a lot if you're like not a person that naturally nods a lot Um, and also kind of like calibrating it to your speaker. So for instance, like some people, if you notice that they stop talking every time you make like an mm sound, like maybe like scale back on that and see if that encourages them to keep talking. Um, Sometimes I think in North American culture, when we think active listening, we think like we have to be like doing a lot, whereas like sometimes maybe it's maybe the challenge more for us is to like literally just sit and listen and not feel like we have to be like doing listening so overtly.
0: Yeah. I find for me, I I remember when I was first starting this podcast and I was a very like voraciously reading through, okay, how do I, how do I do this? And so one of, or how do I interview guests? I am not a journalist by trade. Like what, what, how do, how does this work? And one of the key, Things that came up in skimming through the the Google machine, the interweb, mm. was uh, basically ask a question and shut up. Like ask a question and then do not say a thing. Let the the person you were interviewing do the talking. And so for me, what's interesting is in my day to day, I find that I am doing a lot of mm, mm, interjecting. Oh yeah, okay. Mm. And that's just me and how I listen. But in this context of being in this audio world. I find that I listen differently or active listening looks different for me. So it's interesting that you said kind of contextually, it may be different. Mm. That
1: is so, that's so, that's really fascinating. I was thinking as you were talking about, um, uh, I like to listen to the uh, podcast, The Daily, and the host, I remember him talking about... Um, He makes like this very particular like mm noise when he's listening and he's interviewing people. And he said like some people like love it and then some people like write in and they're like, oh, stop making that mm sound. So it's it's so interesting how we sort of like listen differently as you're saying in different settings.
0: Yeah. And how, so going back to that other question, like Mm. can listening happen on multiple levels, do you think?
1: Mm. Well, I think actually your example is like a great illustration of like, absolutely it can. And I mean, I'd be curious, I mean, I don't want to like turn the tables in the interview, but I'd be curious about whether, like, I bet you everyone would have their own idea of like multiple levels. I'd be curious about yours. I think when I think about like what I think, I think when we think listening, we often think about the cognitive part, like really like understanding, trying to understand like what is the other person saying? Do I kind of like agree or disagree? How do I make sense of what they're telling me? Um, But I think what we sometimes think less about, but I think is equally as important is like how we're listening with like our emotions and then like connected to that, our body. So for instance, like, you know, what emotions come up for you when you're hearing someone tell like an emotionally moving story and like, where do you notice that in your body? Like in my work as a psychologist, that is like a huge way I'm listening to people, which is sort of like trying to use my body as like a bit of like an antenna for like what the other person is saying um so yeah I think that's like one way of listening on multiple levels I'm curious if you had like different levels in mind
0: no I I the the only thing that I was kind of going to add to that was uh was in agreement with you in the sense that listening for me i think absolutely is that cognitive piece where i'm trying to understand what the other person is is saying and part of that could be reiterating back to them so this if I'm understanding you correctly this is what I think you're saying is that right and giving them a chance to kind of tell me if I'm understanding correctly but then listening with our uh, again kind of our bodies and and nodding along perhaps but I'm, I'm curious can you maybe elaborate a bit more and you I, I love this idea of using your body almost as an antenna in your work as a psychologist like what what is Can you explain that a little bit more? Hmm.
1: Sure. So it's kind of tricky because it's like, of course, like we're not, we're not, we don't come to any encounter, including a therapeutic encounter, like a blank slate, like, of course we're bringing like our own history and our own feelings and our own body sensations. But I think in order to like listen, in order to listen so carefully in that way, where you're sort of trying to put yourself to the side, it's like, you want to be aware of your kind of baseline. And then to be aware of like how that baseline is changing and to use that Delta as a way, as a hint into what the other person might be communicating to you. And then of course you would check that assumption out with them because you might be wrong. So for instance, let's imagine like, if someone is telling you like a sad story, but like the way their vocal tone is quite like flat, maybe that would probably in that situation, I might notice in my body, like maybe I start to notice like, Oh, I'm like tearing up or like, I'm feeling a sadness within me. And then that, that would give me kind of a hint like, huh, this person is telling me a sad story. They don't seem very sad, but I'm feeling a lot of sadness. Mm. Maybe I'm kind of feeling the sadness that's like underneath what they're expressing. So then I would probably share that with them. Like, Oh, as you're telling me this story I'm noticing, I'm feeling quite sad. Like, is that, is that what's going on for you underneath this? So kind of checking it out that way. Um, it also comes up a lot in couples therapy. So often in couples therapy, we're sort of trying to help people get below the like content level of what they're talking about. Cause it's like, you know, you can it's not it's not that helpful to people to like solve a fight, quote unquote, about like who loaded the dishwasher correctly. It's oh, like we gosh. want
0: Jen. <laughs> Is Jen, that a have fight? You, have you been? <laughs> you've been watching us <laughs> do you have a camera somewhere in our kitchen
1: uh, I know well both of you are such good organizers I can see how there would be
0: oof, some... oof. it is it is like a metaphor anyway this is, this yeah. is beyond the scope this is not a, a, a therapeutic session for me sorry continue I
1: interrupted no 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 I'm laughing because it's it's such a common fight that happens that's why like we you know a couple of therapists kind of joke about that that's like the prototypical fight Right, but it's like of course it's not about the dishwasher, right? So it's like how can you help people like get to the emotions beneath what they're expressing? Which is like sometimes sometimes it is just about the dishwasher, but at other times it's like if that's a recurring theme. It's like maybe there's
0: like other things that people aren't saying. Right. Yeah, it's <laughs> I love that <laughs> example. It's oof, it's hitting hitting home. Okay, I'm going to take a uh, a left. I'm going to do a left okay. turn here. Good. Left and turn. I want to ask I want to ask you something else. Okay. So Listening is one half of this communication equation, but it feels like to me anyway that there's this kind of imbalance in teaching communication skills. And you are an instructor at the university level, um, and certainly we have lots of friends and family who teach at all levels. I think there really is, for me, what I've seen even in growing up and and going to school, I think there's really greater focus and kind of active practice on communicating one's ideas to the world and not as much formal education around listening to others. So have, has this been your experience? Mm. Yeah, I think
1: so. I think our society really tends to emphasize like speaking rather than listening. And then like consequently, I think we tend, our society tends to frame communication is how we talk rather than how we listen or rather than how we balance those two things. Um, like I'm thinking of participation grades mm. um, where it's like often, sometimes that's like attendance based, which is like, pre- I guess that doesn't really privilege one or the other, but often when when we mark participation and like, I've done this myself where it's like, I'm thinking about, Oh, how much did this person like talk in class and less about like, Oh, how, how much did they carefully listen in class, which is an entire. entirely different ballgame um and yet I think actually listening is often harder like to be honest like for me it's a lot easier to talk in a class than to like not talk so like when I when I was in grad school that was more my thing to try to like not talk as much so it's almost like maybe I should have been graded on listening Um, yeah but that said I have to say like I've been lucky that I, I teach I teach at the University of Toronto in the Master of Social Work program and like I teach courses on uh, the provision of psychotherapy, um, so actually most of our class time is spent on teaching listening. But I think that's like a very particular context, and I would say probably overall in our education system, there's a lot more emphasis on talking.
0: And do you think that might be because, or one of the key reasons that just came to mind as you as you were saying that? Could it be because we can quantify talking? Hmm. Whereas listening is much harder to quantify or much harder to kind of pin down a metric that allows us to measure it.
1: Mm, I think that's a great point. I bet you that's part of it. But I also wonder if part of the reason speaking is easier to quantify is because like we just pay so much attention to that. Mm. Um, or it seems like more active in a way. I, I also think our overall our culture right? Kind of like has this, you know, there's like that whole thing about like the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, like we kind of have this sense that like you should talk up, you should speak up and you should be talking a lot.
0: And so that's a great question. Like d- does our culture reward listening? And and if if not, like what does that mean for us? Mm, I mean, again, like I, I know it's your podcast. I'd be very curious as to your opinion <laughs> as well,
1: but I think, I think often there's this like feeling of like, you know, the person who shouts loudest gets heard. Like, like, I guess, I guess I I keep thinking actually about like, you know, we have like our most recent, like federal, I watched like the English language debate, like our federal English language debate. And I was, I don't know, I don't know if I should have been surprised, but I was surprised at just like how everybody talked over each other. Like I actually found it like very chaotic to watch and kind of like disappointing like oh like but that person's talking and like now you're talking over them but like I mean everyone was doing it it wasn't like it was democratic in that sense I guess but I, I, to me I was like oh wow I guess this is it was kind of like an illustration of like yeah I think in this case we're not privileging listening we're privileging talking um, and yet I think it's sad because I when I think about the moments in my own life where I've felt the most transformed It's by, like, listening to, like, client stories or, like, student stories or, like, stories of family and friends.
0: And that's such an interesting point is that while talking is important, listening perhaps is arguably more important in certain situations. And wouldn't the world be a different place if we all listened a little more? And we're taught to do that
1: absolutely and like that reciprocity right like it doesn't mean you have to be like silent for the rest of time but like a true a true back and forth like I, i'm no political expert obviously but i feel like things have become very like polarized in the last couple of years and i wonder if part of that is it's like everyone's having a lot of difficulty listening to each other right
0: yeah i i on my to-do list for next semester How do I quantify listening? How do I teach listening? How do I sneak that into my course about branding or design and layout or typography? Hmm. Okay. I have an, I have a to-do. Wait, including that to-do, because I also want to think about how to grade listening.
1: What if we graded listening actually instead of talking, like
0: just totally reversed it? How would that transform the classroom? Yeah. This is a whole like PhD. I know, seriously,
1: yeah. (laughs) We'll do our PhD together.
0: (laughs) Okay, deal, deal. So in, I guess, just kind of getting back to this this topic of kind of creativity and listening, Mm -hmm. and that's really kind of where I'm hoping we can pivot now. In your research and in your experience, does deep listening kind of allow us to tap into some sort of Creative space or creative state of mind, and what is at the intersection of listening and creativity? In your opinion,
1: I think it's such. I think it's such a great question. I haven't I haven't explored that connection between listening and creativity in my research, but I think it's such a great one. And you could also do it in your second PhD um, <laughs> after our one on listening in the classroom. Of course, I think I think listening is like a precondition to creativity. Like, if we don't listen well to ourselves, then we're not going to know what we want. So it's going to be hard to act creatively out of that space. And also, I think if we don't listen carefully to others, then we're just an island of one. And again, that's also it's hard to be creative when it's just you in a bubble with your own ideas. I'm thinking about like, you know, we know from the research that openness to experience So that's like being willing to try new things or consider different perspectives is the most robust personality predictor of creativity. And and it's hard to be open-minded and gather different perspectives if you're not listening to other people. Like when I think about like my most creative moments, it's usually come out of conversation with someone.
0: Yeah, I'm teaching a class right now in interdisciplinary innovation and I have the extreme privilege of working with master's level students in a digital media program, but they are coming from like aerospace engineering and they're coming from, uh, there's been composers in the class before, there are artists, there are uh, kind of tech specialists, coding, computer science people. So it's this incredible mix and range of people. And it's so neat to see them come together. And uh, one of the things that we have been doing in this course is really working on our active listening or working on bringing that self-awareness of what listening can do to the process of innovation. And like you said, an island of one, you can't really create in a bubble, or rather you can, but will it be its most interesting, well-informed, realized final self no right it's it's when we start to talk to each other it's when we start to listen it's when we start to build and use that lovely improv uh uh, kind of concept of yes and yes and what about this yes and oh how about that all of a sudden when we can listen and collaborate in a space that is accepting of others ideas and the and offers the opportunity to build on top of them cool stuff starts to happen i also
1: think it's so neat that it's an interdisciplinary course where you can have that kind of like wealth and like breadth of sharing like i'm thinking about like oh like what are the barriers that we put in place sometimes in different institutions right like sometimes it's hard to launch an interdisciplinary course because it would have to be like maybe it has to be cross-listed or things like that So I think that's so amazing that it's like, wow, like we really need to create these opportunities to bring people together so they can listen.
0: And it was really interesting, actually, just thinking about one of the listening activities that I was Mm. doing with this class. And it was over Zoom uh, at the time. We're now back in person, but it was over Zoom. So it was a little bit tricky in terms of the logistics. But I think in the end, it was so neat because this class is the most international class I've ever taught Everyone is seemingly in a different country. So there was someone at the time who was coming, who was broadcasting from Mexico. We had students in Thailand, in China, in Pakistan, in Iran, in Egypt, in, uh, I can't even list all the, like all over the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the exercises was um, all about this kind of tongue twistery. Uh, piece of prose, piece, it was almost limericky. And it was so interesting to hear students' perspectives on kind of why they found it challenging. And it was it was really interesting because one student in her language, the types of vowel sounds and things I was asking her to say don't come naturally. But then in another language, there is almost more vowel sounds and, and more kind of um, complexity in that language, which makes it equally challenging, but in a different way. So all of a sudden, I'm understanding these cultural contexts to what I'm trying to teach, which is like, fascinating to me. So I was, <laughs> I had the privilege of learning through listening in that class. But it's it's just such an, I think, an important thing to do to be able to create space. And I think maybe that's another uh, key challenge in this day and age is just time and dedicating the time it takes, the patience it takes, the stamina it takes sometimes to sit and listen. And it's not to say that I am a perfect listener by any means, but I think offering that space in a classroom or in a conversation or anywhere in between is such a rich opportunity to grow. Mm. It also reminds me of our
1: conversations around specification grading. Mm where it's also kind of complicated when we, like, run a class where we're like, oh, like, try things out, we, like, encourage failure, but then, like, oh, we're going to get, like, a letter grade at the end of it, right? So, like, I was thinking of your, you introduced me to the concept of specification grading, where it's like, hey, as long as everyone sort of puts forth this amount of effort, you're going to get this grade, which really encourages that kind of, like, listening in space and, like, trying things out.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting you say that because this particular class, uh, I'm using the specifications uh-huh. grading model.
1: Cool. So I
0: wonder I wonder if that plays into it. And specifications grading, if you have no idea what we're talking about, is essentially uh, specifications are a set of criteria that if you meet these specific specifications, uh, meaning that you... Um, for example, hand things in on time and your work is to this specific kind of level or um, you have these A, B, and C included in your work. If you've kind of put forth the effort, tried, then it's it's essentially a check mark. It's a complete or incomplete. And it's just an interesting way to take the pressure off in some ways. But like you said, it's it's uh, there are challenges around, the university still needing a letter grade at the end of it. Anyway, we're getting off topic, but, 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 but it's uh yeah, it's it's super interesting that these types of spaces maybe do allow for or give students permission to listen uh, a little bit more deeply because they are not being graded in the same way. And yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. food for thought. <laughs> So I have recently been exploring kind of this realm of creative confidence, and I'd love to know your thoughts about the connections between creativity and listening, but also self-esteem. Are they connected? If so, how do you feel they're connected? Mm. I think it takes
1: good self-esteem to be a good listener, Um, because I think the more we feel sort of centered and good about who we are then like the less like ego shall we say we bring to conversations so like the the less we need to sort of like prove something or feel like we need to get something out of the interaction like oh I need this person to be impressed by me so I can feel good about myself Um, and I think when we can do that when we can sort of feel good about ourselves that actually gives us the ability to kind of set that self aside and then become better listeners because we're not filtering conversations through our own fears and anxieties. Um, so it's almost like we can see things a bit more clearly and we can listen to things a bit more clearly. And then I think that actually helps us be better listeners and then be more creative. Um, you know, like I even think about like my own work and my own personal therapy. I feel like I became a better listener after because it just frees up a lot of mental space because you're not preoccupied with like the, you know, what, like whatever it is you're working on, the worries that are going through your head. Um, yeah, so that's, I think the more we listen carefully to people that that works better when we can put ourselves to the side.
0: I find it absolutely fascinating, this connection between or between self-esteem and listening, because I had never thought of it in that way. I'd never thought, oh, yeah, okay. If I'm feeling like I don't have to prove a point, I have almost permission to sit back my body language almost changes as well. I kind of I feel more relaxed. I feel more at ease because I can just listen and not have to prove a point or not have to feel like my voice has to be heard because I'm not feeling heard or I'm not feeling confident in myself. So maybe there's there's something there. There's a third PhD there. Mm. <laughs> We're gonna do it. Yes. Yes. I,
1: I and- love the word permission. That's such like an it's such like a good, like, it's such, so like on the, on the nail, hitting the nail on the head, right? Like, what would it look like if we gave ourselves permission to just know that we're sort of infinitely lovable and valuable? So it's not like we're having to prove that or test that with all these different interactions. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. I agree. I think, that, yeah, there's, there's a lot here and certainly um, it, it's much deeper than we can get into in a mm-hmm. short conversation, but I think there's, there's food for thought there as well, that this there's a, there is a connection, whether correlation or causation between self-esteem and listening and what that looks like and how do we cultivate a better world? We become better listeners, I think. How do we become better listeners? We appreciate ourselves. We know our self-worth. We know that we do not have to prove anything, that we are inherently worth it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that is i'm solving the world's problems obviously this is this is a path forward right self-esteem as as a child or even as an adult learning learning to be okay with who we are in this world helps us become better listeners which helps us ultimately go out into the world and and make it a better place Mm -hmm. i love that idea and problem solved we did it So how do we ultimately become better listeners? Self-esteem piece aside, perhaps for a second, but right now, right here, like any tips, tricks for mm. how you feel we can become better listeners?
1: Mm. I think I think one way, um, aside from like improving your self-esteem through like whatever it's personal therapy or mindfulness meditation, yoga, whatever, whatever that looks like for you, I think sort of an in the moment thing is to just remind yourself that listening is a gift you're offering to other people. So it's like to use your phrase, right? To give yourself permission, just to sort of sit back and enjoy, rather than feeling like you need to be like doing listening by like interjecting a lot or chiming in with your two cents. Um, I think, I, think I'll, I was sort of, when you told me this was the topic of your podcast, I was reflecting on like, just like people I've noticed that are good listeners. And I was like thinking of my PhD supervisor Dr. John Eastwood, who taught me a lot about sort of critical thinking, but also listening. And like, one of the things I noticed is that he taught more through like questions. So it's like, instead of telling you like, this is how you do X, he would sort of like ask you a question and then like, listen to what you're saying. So I think, and that was a huge gift. I don't think I would have learned as much if he had just like told me everything. So I think reminding yourself that listening is like, is actually a lot of work. And it's a gift you're giving to the other person.
0: Mm, What a great way to end off. Giving the gift of your time and attention and love and pointing it in someone's direction. And that it really is a gift to make someone feel heard and help them kind of piece together their own uh, understanding of of what's inside their head by saying it out loud and, and having someone to genuinely kind of hear what they're saying. And thank you, Dr. Jennifer Hunter, for uh, for being here. And I so appreciate your insight on this very important topic. And you, of course, are an expert listener. And it's it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. In thinking more about this conversation after it was over, I began to really try to figure out how to incorporate the evaluation of listening into future courses I teach. Active listening can be demonstrated in a whole range of ways, including overtly apparent techniques like eye contact, nodding, leaning forward, open body language, paraphrasing someone's words back to them, asking questions, explaining the concept to someone else, etc as well as covert techniques, thinking deeply, sense-making, expanding and connecting ideas. I'm going to continue to iron out the details. However, I'm excited to include a participation mark that includes some combination of overt and covert active listening techniques into my courses. This might look like asking students to put away their devices for a portion of the class to really focus in and listen and or Encourage asking clarification questions throughout the class and or paraphrasing key ideas on a piece of paper they submit at the end of class, for example. Furthermore, there will likely be a self-evaluation component to help provide an assessment of their active listening that I can't see. Continuous evaluation throughout the semester, I think will be more helpful to course correct and learn from rather than a single grade at the end of the course. I also think it will be important to introduce listening as a topic in let's say a 10 or 20 minute discussion of what, when, why, where, who, and how of listening to gain student buy-in and clarify exactly what active listening is all about. Part of this assessment item's purpose is to get back to basics with the critical skill of listening. Part of the purpose is to provide space for practice and to experience quiet contemplation in a noisy world. And part of the purpose is to level the playing field with naturally inquisitive but quiet, shy or introverted students who don't enjoy engaging in traditional class discussions, which is typically where participation marks are often held. However, I choose to move forward with this assessment of listening, I must keep each of these goals in mind to create a fair and equitable assessment item. Now, I know that it won't be completely ironed out until I try it a few times, but I'm excited to continue exploring the effects that this could have on positively changing the dynamics within the classroom so that everyone feels heard and hopefully engagement naturally increases with the focus shifted from talking to listening. For this episode's listening invitation, I'm going to wear my teacher hat and ask you to evaluate yourself. In the book, You're Not Listening, What You're Missing and Why It Matters by Kate Murphy, she provides the following three-question self-assessment prompt when leaving a conversation. I encourage you to ask yourself the following. What did I just learn about that person? What was most concerning to that person today? How did that person feel about what we were talking about? This type of awareness in others and ultimately in yourself can change future interactions for the better, inciting greater empathy, changing your world, and then changing the world, one conversation at a time.